does it mean to step into the life God has created specifically for you? How do you lean into the immeasurably more that only He offers? How do God's dreams become your own? My name is Susan McPherson, and I am so glad you joined me and some of my friends as we discover how to live a life of meaning and purpose with Jesus at the center. I like to call it living the God Girl life. Welcome to the conversation. Hey, God Girls, we are so glad you are joining us again this week. This is our fourth and final episode in the developing, I got to spit it out here, (laughs) developing bold discernment podcast series with my friend, Sarah Broyhill Anderson. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Susan. How are you? Good to be together. Good. I'm good. Excited to dive in today. I just want to review what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. The first episode, we dove into the dangers of convenient Christianity and what happens when we pick and choose the part of our faith, um, the parts of our faith that are convenient and we ignore the hard stuff, you know, and even just twisting it, twisting things to agree with culture and how Mm -hmm. dangerous that can be for sure. That was a great conversation. Episode two is recognizing and cultivating truth and leadership. So we talked about how do we determine um, what is being taught is true to God's word. So that was a great conversation and how we can recognize false teaching. And then last week, episode three, we talked about prayer that invokes spiritual truth and how important prayer is in our lives and staying connected to the power source of God. Yes. So this week is really good. It's mining for God's truth by studying his word, uh, which as we both know is so important. Essential, very essential. Uh, Essential, essential. So um, I was going to kick off this episode with an article that came out in the Christian Post um, that kind of was jarring today. I just, I got it early in the afternoon, and I couldn't wait to share it with you, Sarah. And it was an article about a church here in Nashville. It's a progressive Christian church. And um, I'm not going to read big quotes, but the gist of it was that the pastor had said that the Bible isn't the word of God. And he went on to talk about things and why he believed that. And it just absolutely upset me that this is someone with a flock of people that he's leading. What are your thoughts on that initially? Well, my first thought is why, you know, in keeping with our theme for today, which is so amazing that you read that today, because I mean, why would we need to study the Bible if it's not God's word, or if we're not willing to at least investigate the claim that it's God's word. Right. 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 So if, especially if you're a pastor or a leader, and this goes to last week's or two weeks ago, when we were uh, episode, when we were talking about discerning false teachers, right. If you're representing God and, you know, in, in his church and shepherding a flock, not can staying consistent with the word of God, and that what it says is true. And we know from Timothy that it says that all scriptures God breathes. So, I mean, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that more, but it is, 
dangerous. It's dangerous to go down that road. And his followers, at least some of them who aren't able to discern, you know, yet they might be baby Christians and they're feeding the milk that they're being fed from this pastor, you know, they're not, they haven't moved on to the solid food yet and able to compare, you know, apples with apples. And so they're going to potentially swallow this false teaching hole that the Bible is not the word of God. Well, and as we both know, and you know what, I'm going to just say this, Sarah, and you can laugh at us as you're listening. I want to make sure you have your microphone. Do you have your okay. microphone? I do. Should I okay. Me? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. One that. episode, very, it, yeah. we forgot her microphone. And so I wanted to make sure <laughs> yes. I totally forgot to say that to you before I pressed record. So I hope you're all giggling along with us. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we are rolling with this, right? We're as rolling we with this. That's right. So in second Timothy three, Chapter three, verses 16 through 17, it's all familiar to most of us. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In uh, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching. This right there, he's saying that that's not true. Right? right. That's what he's saying. It seems that that's what he's saying. So it seems that that's what he's saying. And again, this is an article. I, you know, I didn't write the article. I didn't interview this person and I haven't really, you know, dove into the church itself, but I would just say that if your pastor is saying that you need to run, <laughs> you need um, to very basic. That's basic that he needs to hold in order to be a pastor of the church because he is teaching anyone like that. They're teaching the word of God, right? Based on this premise that it is God breathed. Right. So that's a truth. That's not a premise. That's a truth, you know, and he has to be able to believe that pastors have to be able to believe that there are skeptics out there. A lot of people in the pews are skeptics and that's okay. Right. Pastors, they've move beyond skepticism now. That's right. You know, they have embraced a leadership role in the church. And so if that's what the Bible says, that's what they need to be teaching. Period. Exactly. And talk about how, you know, it's okay to be skeptical because you can investigate. Talk about that. You talked about even atheists and, you know, they can investigate. That's right. So, I mean, all disciplines, historical events have to be investigated. Um, Science uses a scientific method now, uh, but it is investigated. There are hypotheses that are presented. If someone is a skeptic, whether they're agnostic, atheist, if naturalist, if they are conservative, if they are liberal, it doesn't matter what, where you come from, there is the claim at least in their minds, that the Bible is the word of God, right? Right. That the Bible is divinely authored using human scribes, right? And so that is at least, at the very least, a claim that can be investigated. If they don't accept it on its face, everyone should come to the table willing to investigate it at the very least. If you're not willing to investigate it, then how do you know if it's true or false? Right, right. You can't possibly be intellectually fair by just closing the book on a topic without investigating it. And so, and there's a lot of sound bites out there that sound good, you know, Mm -hmm. from 
other potentially skeptics or even like this pastor. And (laughs) then you take that and you're like, that's my proof. That's not investigating. Right. Right. There's a difference between just accepting what someone says and investigating it for yourself. And so we all owe it to ourselves to investigate. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great transition into what we're going to talk about, because we really today want to roll up our sleeves and teach you how you can understand and study the Bible better. And so it's, it's that investigation and we all should be doing that. That's right. We all should be doing that for sure. Um, so let's start with this. Um, what are the parameters and what do we look for in translations of the Bible? Okay. Yeah. Cause that's where we're starting, right? We're, you right. know, we're, if we're going from the word of God, which is our source of truth, or at least we want to investigate the claim that it's the source of truth. Right. And so there are, there's a, there's a, I guess a sliding scale of biblical interpretations. If you want a literal interpretation, there really is none in the English language. Any interpretation has to be at least the best interpretations are meaning to meaning. Because if you go to a Greek um, uh, dictionary, I guess you could say, you're not going to find the, um, or concordance, you're not going to find exactly each word translated into English in the same order because they structured their sentences differently than we did. Right. And so you cannot um, expect to find word for word, but also we have the issue of every language also has a structure in which they wrote their, um, just the language structure of the sentence structure and everything else like that, but also the idioms and the hidden meanings and the things that go without saying that are packed into that. So there's never going to be a literal translation. So on the most, if you want to get close to literal in the English language, you're going to find the King James version. And that's probably the best shot because it's the older, right? Closer to the time of the Greek, even though it wasn't that new or right. that old. But right. um, that is going to be more of the meaning to meaning, the most literal that we can get, but yet it's still not literal. And then you move into ESV, which is the English standard version, and then the NIV. And as you move away from the meaning to meaning, you're really getting into the thought for thought. So then this is less than meaning to meaning. Okay. Thought. Okay. And then you're getting into things like the new, um, oh, the NLT, do you know? Yep. New living translation, the new living translation. And then when you move away from that, you're really getting into the paraphrased. Okay. And that's, a fine translation to use if you really want to understand the storyline, mm-hmm. but it's not good for developing doctrine or investigating doctrine. So when we're talking about investigating claims that the Bible is the word of God, you're not going to want to use the paraphrase version. And that an example of that would be the message Bible. Okay. And so we don't want to use those to develop doctrine or investigate doctrine or truth or falsity because you're you're way fa- you're you're distanced greatly from the original language, and okay. that's really where we're going to find the the meaning that we're looking for is gotcha. in the original language. But that's why there's so many roads we can go down right now, Susan. I know, I know. But yes, <laughs> well, and you know, it does. I mean, the message can kind of give you the overall arching story. It's like the, um, the story. I don't know yeah. if you remember that book, but just to give you kind of that overall arching story of the Bible, but then, you know, so that's useful too. 
in its own way for sure. Just to kind of give you that, that, um, kind of that foundation of what the Bible says, but like you said, just to really dig deep into, um, understanding and, and the translation and to investigating, you have to really get closer to traditional language, traditional. Yes, exactly. So, um, one of the things that I think is so important is, and you and I have talked about this, and I love how you explain this, is understanding the context and culture. Now, let's start with this, because you mentioned idioms and, you know, things that go without saying, because we have those here all the time, you know, here and now all the time Yeah. that, you know, people a thousand years from now would not understand, right? That's right. I mean, think about it. I mean, just think of any saying that we have that doesn't mean if you literally interpreted the words, right? nothing to do with what the meaning behind the words really meant, right? right. The meaning of the speaker or the author. There's so many of them. Give me five, you know, five of right. what? You know, it just wouldn't, uh, it's not a, that's a, like a encouragement. That's a high five. That's a, oh, right. Congratulations, right. Give me, that's a great me- example. Yeah. It's like if, <laughs> if they said, oh, they wanted five of something in this, uh, you know, if they were reading it a thousand years from now, they would miss the actual meaning of it. And so the way I like to describe it is a gift. There's meaning in the Bible that God, the ultimate author wants to convey. And he has chosen certain people with certain personalities in certain cultures and certain geographical locations with certain idiosyncrasies and mm-hmm. all of the above with certain historical events going on around them. Right. All influences us, but he knows God knows. And he uses that to his advantage to convey the meaning that he wants to convey That's throughout right. the ages. Right. But our job. And so we've got this, I call it a gem. And that's the message that God really wants all ages, the timeless. Because remember, scripture says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes and neither does his message and neither does his method or, uh, you know, salvation. Mm -hmm. Road to salvation never changes. And so the message to get there can't either, really. So he's this gem of meaning. This is the truth that is embedded in the Bible text, okay? And so we, it has been wrapped it's been wrapped in gift wrapping in its original context and in its original culture by the original author in order to facilitate this message to the original audience, right? So it's all wrapped up. And so this wrapped gifts go, goes throughout the ages in each culture and each culture has to unwrap that gift in order to get to the gem inside. Oh, that so how do they unwrap beautiful. that gift? They have to go back to the original wrapping and figure out how they put it together in order to unwrap it. And that's how we're going to get to that gem. And the gem is a gemstone. That is hard. It doesn't change. And it's beautiful and it's valuable. And so we really need to make sure that we don't re- forget that the original message has already been wrapped in someone else's culture. And so unwrapping it doesn't lose the meaning, the original meaning of that gem. You know, right? you still have to unwrap it. And so that's what we're going to get into. How do we do that? Oh, that is just uh, the imagery is that's so easy to remember and it just explains it beautifully. So thank you for sharing that. So let's start with historical. So how do we determine like what was going on then? I know in my study Bible, I have a lot of that information. Yeah. And that's good. A study Bible is so good for that. 
Yes. Yes. So do you recommend other sources? Well, I do. Um, commentaries are good mm-hmm. commentaries that are, but it's interesting because some commentaries, most commentaries are, are good, right. By reputable right. uh, um, sprawl and, you know, all these um, great theologians throughout the time Spurgeon. So um, then you've got some that are not as good. And so it, it is hard to discern. And that is going to take maybe these other principles that we're going to go over because mm-hmm. you have to know if they are really diving in and doing proper interpretation, which involves big words like hermeneutics and exegesis, you know, and right. we don't have to understand that to right. know the process to do it ourselves, or at least vet whether someone else has done it. And I can tell you that um, any commentaries that are closer in time to the original writings are going to be the most accurate as long as they are not inconsistent with scripture because God's word to us is consistent and interpretations of it have to be consistent. It doesn't change. Right. right? It goes back to that gem, that unchanging gem. But historically I have this list here. It's um, things that affect someone's his, the historicity, I guess, of the message. Okay. That's a worldview. Right. And that is the way that they perceive the world around them. And that is, something that can be shared with a, with the culture. Normally a culture will have a cultural worldview, but it's also individual and that's based on your experiences and what you've been exposed to. But um, that includes your values, your mindset, your outlook, you know, everything like that, but also the societal structures, like of the time that you've grown up in. I don't know if this is getting too detailed, but like marriage and family patterns, physical features of the climate, the weather, the structures, like if you grew up in um, a volcanic bed, you know, or like versus a Mediterranean or a, you know, a beach or there are different things that affect how you perceive the world and history, economic structures, political climate, behavior patterns of the time, dress or customs, religious practices. And the ancient Near East, the Israelites were very unique in that they, they, um, their religious practices were very different than their surrounding culture. So all of this goes into play, you know, what, what was happening in the world around them too, but all these other things go into play when you unpack the historical context of the time in which your, whatever part of the Bible, the book of the Bible that you're unpacking actually happened or was right. Yeah. Well, and you think about, you know, especially in the old Testament, there's just so much that, some of it is just shocking what was going on in the culture. I mean, many wives and, you know, yeah. it just, and, and some of the, you know, there's a, a lot of violence in the Old Testament. Um, so understanding where that's all coming from and that was part of the culture of the day um, puts it all into context and, and helps you kind of get past some of the, that stuff, don't you think? Yeah, because if we project our social justice lens onto, you know, uh, ancient Near East cultures, they would never perceive the world like we do. They didn't perceive injustice the way we do. They don't. They didn't perceive murder. They didn't perceive life. They didn't. There's so much that they didn't perceive the same way that we do. Right. It has to do with their worldview and their culture and what they're being exposed to, what the norms were then is we cannot project our norms onto their norms. There's something, of course, God's does not condone, you know, certain things how, and so he doesn't, 
appreciate a lot of that, but he has a level of justice and righteousness that we can't comprehend. And so we just have to unpack it, right? Unwrap it and get to that meaning that he needs needs us to understand. And it won't be what is on the surface of some of those stories, you know, of murder and, you know, I said, that's not the meaning that he wants to convey. That's the context that it occurred in, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we just have to understand that, that that was the context that was happening. There's a lot of bad things that happened today. If we talked about what someone needed to convey within that context of all those happenings, we wouldn't want to diminish that meaning of their, of their message because of what was happening around them. Exactly. Exactly. That's excellent. Excellent. So commentaries, I mean, do you have Spurgeon, Sproul, R.C. Sproul? Yeah, that's, those are the ones I have. And I have a lot of, um, you know, (laughs) when we're talking about interpretation, Walter Kaiser, Moses Silva, they're good. I have their, um, books. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, I could show you these. Oh gosh. There's just Mm -hmm. so many William Klein. Um, when, you know, there's just, there's really good resources. Really good. We, uh, I have Warren Wearsby. Yeah. Um, he is someone, and we also, we published it with my job in publishing. We published Sproul and right. Warren Wearsby. And um, so, yeah, there's some really good ones out there. And you can always ask your pastor. Yeah. You know, if you really trust your pastor or, um, you know, your small group leader, if if you're looking for some good commentaries, but those are all good ones to go check out for sure. Um, okay. So another thing that we really, when we are mining for God's truth, we have to avoid reading for what you want to see rather than searching for the truth. So this is one of the things I think a lot of us do. We'll just decide, I want to just, I want to find a verse about um, purpose, you know, my purpose. And we just go and we just find, you know, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, you know, without really understanding what, where that's coming from and, and just trying to find what we want to hear instead of really diving in and understanding it. Am I explaining that? Does that make sense to you? There's a name for that, actually. It's called oh. quick proof text. Say that again. Say that again. Quick, quick proof text. That's when you cho- you're just picking your like a grab bag. Like that works yes. for me. I I have an idea I want to validate and I find the one verse that seems to say what I'm thinking. And that is a bad approach to studying scripture. We have to, you know, really ask ourselves, do we even have the privilege of reading whatever we see into the text that we're reading? Right. And we really do not have that privilege. We, I mean, there are multiple probably levels of meaning in a lot of uh, scripture texts, but we really need to find that gem first before we zoom out at all and look for the, you know, and rewrap it, I guess, into the context of today without right. changing that gem. But right. yeah, there's a couple of other ways that we should not be studying the scripture. And this is funny. My professor calls it Mike makes right. And I don't know if you guys have this friend, but it's the person who raises their voice until they drown out all the other voices. I mean, it's just a matter of debate, I guess. This is what I believe about scripture. And as people try to question or ask or investigate, they're like, nope, 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 nope. And they, yes. you, you can't make something right, an interpretation right, just by being dogmatic about it. Right. So right, that's right. 
an inheritance. Uh, just because your parents, as well-meaning as they are, or your Sunday school teacher, or your pastor says something is, you know, the way it is, or that's, I, I remember my friend when she was uh, younger told me, well, my mom said that the Adam and Eve story is myth. It's just a myth. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I'd never even heard that the Bible could be a myth, you know? Right. And so it, but so that passed down from generation to generation, that is not necessarily, that doesn't make it true just because someone we love and adore teaches us something. That's where the right. investigation goes in. We still have to investigate right. the claim right. that they're making. So, yeah. Now, now the one thing I want to make sure that we say, we, it's not, we don't want to make this hard for you either. Right, Sarah? We yeah. don't want to overwhelm you with all of this. We just want to give you um, better tools or better, you know, better ways in really diving in. It's not that you have to, every time you read your Bible, you have to pull out all your commentaries and, you know, <laughs> a study Bible is great to have. It is. It's really good to have. Um, and, you know, just really reading the text and then maybe, you know, having that study Bible where the commentary is right there is always helpful. Yeah. Um, but I do feel there's a responsibility as Christians to spend time digging in. Yeah. And I think if we understand the context, like just a little right. investigation and a study Bible might just provide that for us. Right. Investigating and the smaller, like the the quick proof text, the smaller the um, passage that you're studying, the more likely that you're going to be interpreting it in error. Right. You have to zoom out and get not only the historical context but the literary context. You know, you have the immediate, which is around right around that verse that you want to understand, but then you have the whole book of the Bible that's in a context that that verse is in context of. Then the whole Bible itself, and so I mean, we're not going to be able to go back, you know, and zoom out normally that much right? every time we read the Bible. But if we want, I guess if we're investigating and we want to investigate claims of truth or false falsity, then we need to be able or be willing to at least go that way. But there's a, there's like a five-step process that can simplify how we approach scripture and we can go over that anytime, you know? Oh yeah. Well, so what is that? Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, the first step would be to pray, right? Right. Right. When we approach scripture, we really should open in prayer because we do want the Holy Spirit to give us that divine meaning. But that does not relinquish us from responsibility of digging in ourselves. He he enables us to know what is true, but we need to investigate what is true, right? Right, right. Uh, Forming a guiding question is something else. So when we're looking at it, find something that's what do we want to know about what we're reading, you know? And so we're going to, we're not going to want to do something too broad. We're going to want something maybe specific. Like if you are looking for something, you know, form a guiding question and then you expand. So you go narrow and then you expand out and you look, you gather the data and you look in the concordance, you look in the old Testament, you look in the new Testament. Um, You want to look for people who do theology well, you know, and and we just talked about that. And then you want to organize everything that you found and then you can apply it and evaluate it. Those are the five steps that I've used. Those are excellent. Yeah. And I don't know if that makes it more complicated or less complicated, but I know that if we start with prayer and then we go into it with we're looking for the truth of God's word. Are we want to know what this pastor said is, is God, is the word of God, excuse me, is the Bible, the word of God, you know, that's right. a guiding 
question. Right. We go into it and then we start our investigation and, and we zoom back out and we go to corroborating sources. We go to other people who have studied the Bible well and deeply and very specifically. We read what they have to say about it. And then we organize what we found and we see where it's consistent be amongst theologians and scholars and commentaries and within the scripture because scripture is not inconsistent. And then we apply it to our lives and we evaluate it. You know, we have to wait until we've done that. You know, we don't have to wait, but it, it's better to know if we're going to choose something as fundamental as whether the Bible is the word of God or not. Right. Not to act on it until we do at least this. Oops, excuse yeah. me. This much. This <laughs> much. There goes a microphone. I think um, you might want to move it just slightly away because I feel like I hear like a bumping your sweater or something. Okay. (laughs) We, you know, these technical. I know we are really techno people right here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're keeping it real people. We're keeping it real. That's right. Um, uh, So that was excellent to talk through that. I know when I do my weekly devotionals for God Girl Nation, I take that scripture verse. And then I, I usually read in my study Bible, which is a wonderful, it's, it's called the life application study Bible. I think it's, I want to say it's Tyndale. I'm not positive. I actually have it here. I'm going to grab it. (laughs) I think I have one too. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I'll go to the beginning of that book in the Bible and I'll read who, Oh, there you go. That's it. That's no it. wonder like, we're friends. Yep, exactly. I pulled it right <laughs> off my floor. <laughs> so is this, is it Tyndale? Let's see. Let's see here. Yes, it is. It is Tyndale. Confirmed. Okay. Yes. It's a great, mine's an NIV. Mine is the older NIV. NIV was updated in 2011. Mine's the older, but, um, and I think it was an update. The 2011 update kind of went to the gender kind yeah. of men, you know, instead of just men all the time referring to men, it was more gender. What do you say? Neutral, I guess. Yeah. yeah I hate to get into all that in today's world. I know it's so hard. It's so hard to even say those terms these days. It, they mean so many things. Um, yeah. But anyhow, so I will do go there, read who all about who wrote it, the context, the history, and then I'll, if it's a verse out of, you know, a certain section of that chapter, then I'll read that whole section to make sure I understand. And then I read the commentary below that really helps me. And then I'll, I'll grab my Warren Rearsby commentary as well, or I'll look it up. I love you. And I did some fun research on, is it Bible hub that you like? Absolutely adore Bible hub. I don't know why everybody in the world does not use Bible hub. You just totally got me hooked on that. Oh my goodness. You write just one click. Nothing is as user-friendly as Bible hub. And we are not indoors. I mean, like there's no like kickback here. There's no kickback. Yeah. <laughs> this is genuine. It is amazing. All the commentaries are right there. Right. Oh my gosh. If you want to know the right commentaries to look at, just go to Bible hub and go to your, you know, scripture that you want to look up and um, click commentary. They have it just for that scripture verse. It's amazing. And then they have the Greek uh, original and word for word language translation, as well as the Hebrew. Uh, It's amazing. Yeah. You know what I think we need to do is do a video teaching with you and we could share the screen and 
go Bible into Bible Hub, Hub and yeah, we, maybe we'll do that sometime and, and put yes. it up at godgirlnation.com. Uh, so anyhow, um, excellent, excellent tips on how to do this and to, to make it easy for you. Um, the other thing, and we, it, it really has been a theme throughout the series uh, the Bible is not a tool for validating feelings. So the theme that we've been talking about is we need to be careful about feelings leading us astray. Right. So why don't you talk about that just a little bit? Well, feelings just don't have a brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it is just a flesh response to our stimuli in our environment and, and even to thoughts that have no basis in reality. Right. And right. so we really, they're, they're not invalid in that they are real to us, right? So we, we don't have to dismiss all of our feelings. However, that's not necessarily where we look for truth. Exactly. Now, some of our feelings might be warning us of something, you know, and so that's why we don't dismiss all of our feelings. However, they must be investigated. They cannot be believed and responded to just on their face. Right. And so the Bible asks us never, not what I want to, I want someone to tell me where in the Bible it says, trust your feelings. It never says that. that. It says the exact opposite. You know, we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross, which means we have to do something difficult in order to follow Jesus. There's not a test. It's not this one thing. And you check the box. It's just that it will, you know, Jesus says, don't be surprised if you have, you know, are persecuted for following me. I was persecuted Mm -hmm. first. So it's not a a pain-free, trial-free life to be a follower of Jesus. It's not a pain-free, trial-free life if you aren't a follower of Jesus. Life is not promised to be perfect either way. What Jesus promises is for us to find the truth and for us, and the truth will set us free. That means we will be saved through this truth that we will find. The freedom that we're going to find is by being not chained to our sins for eternity. So um, we want to find that truth and we're not going to find that in responding to our feelings. We need to mine for the truth and that we're going to find in the, in the word. And oftentimes what we find in the word will, will require, I'm having tongue twisters here, (laughs) will require us to actually dismiss our feelings at that point. We'll realize that they're not consistent with scripture. Any kind of feeling that we have, we just really need to go back and search scriptures for how he wants us to handle those. Right. Well, and we do have instincts, you know, I feel like the, we talked about this, I think last week is Holy Spirit kind of gut checks or the spirit check of the the spirit Spirit. check. Yes. So, so we don't want to totally dismiss that, but like you said before, when we're mining for truth, we can't, we can't use the Bible as a tool for validating just feelings that we have about something. Um, we have got to mind for truth um, and, and really not twist it. Kind of like the pastor, you know, that I mentioned as, as the article went on, as he talked about, you know, the Bible is not the word of God. And he went on to talk about, um, you know, how, we, I can't even, I'm going to get into that and I'm not going to be able to explain it. So, <laughs> but um, he, I guess he was kind of twisting it to go along with culture and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, yeah, it so, sounded like he wanted to be approved or validated by the world. Exactly. So that's where, again, 
we aren't we don't want to search for the truth in the Bible or we don't want to study the Bible searching for validating feelings that don't align with God because you're not going to find it, right? Yeah. Well, and you're going to continually chase your tail. Right. Because what you're searching for is this, like this pastor, he's searching for some kind of validation or approval potentially right. from the world. And what's going to happen is he's still not going to get that feeling satisfied from, from denying the word of God, the word of God. Right. And so then he's going to have to do something else. And this is just, it's not, I'm not pointing fingers at him. This is the nature of humanity, right? Exactly. We all search for things outside of God to fulfill our heart's desire, our ultimate heart's desire. And we end up wanting, we are not filled with what we think we're going to find in those worldly pursuits. And so then we're empty. Still, we think we can continually strive for more worldly things. And we're still going to be empty. The only thing as Pascal says is that fills the hole in our heart is the God uh, shaped plug, I guess that goes in there. I'm right. totally butchered, totally butchered that. <laughs> no, I like your, well, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Um, so that goes along with being really cognizant of our n- narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. We really have to be careful of those tendencies, um, just in general, uh, especially, you know, when we are interpreting the word of God and we just have to really set those aside. I think last week we said we have to pray away narcissism. (laughs) Well, in this culture, you know, again, the culture, 21st century culture, we are me centered, taking care of ourselves centered. I mean, it's so, individualistic Western culture that has spread, not just in the United States, you know, and it's, um, it, it's really hindering our outward, outward approach to, right. and that's, you know, what's the great commission go therefore and make, make disciples. disciples of all nations. We're really not supposed to look at ourselves much at all. We're supposed to be looking at other people. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's the outward. And then from, you know, Jerusalem to Samaria to, you know, it was completely like a ripple, like throwing a pebble in the pond, the ripples that you can make in the world for Jesus. You can't do that if you're only looking in. So while we want to look in in our relationship with Jesus and strengthen that and abide in him, we're supposed to turn that power outward and make a difference in this world for Jesus, you know? Right. So, right. And and it's kind of, I love the John F. Kennedy quote, you know, ask, ask not what you can ask, not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Well, it's really the same concept. We're, we're not asking what God can do for us. We ask him what we can do for him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, um, I guess the notion that we have to accept Jesus plant in this culture makes it in our individualistic narcissistic culture makes us think that that means what it means in culture. We accept Jesus. Jesus accepts us. He's cool with us just the way we are. We're cool with him. If you decide to walk on water or not, great. That's all good with me. You know, suit yourself. You know what I mean? It's all suit yourself. I won't judge you. You don't judge me. Right. Right. And that's not, that's not what it means to accept Jesus. That means turn from your ways, die to self, pick up your difficult circumstances and keep the faith regardless, you know? Right. So yeah, it's definitely, yeah, we're not going to find that in today's culture if we're looking inward. No, no. amen to that. Yeah. 
Well, this is so interesting. And um, I hope we didn't overwhelm anyone with all of this today, because I know it's really hard for busy women to find time to study the Bible. Um, Gosh, about three or four weeks ago, I think it was the episode before our series started, uh, I have had invited one of our authors, uh, Brittany Ann, who wrote a book called Fall in Love with God's Word. And and that's a great resource for really this topic as well. But um, we were talking about, you know, carving in time of with your busy life to study God's word and to really engage in it. How, how do you do it, Sarah? What is your routine? Oh my goodness. So, and you've got, you've got a lot of children. (laughs) I do have five children. (laughs) You know, it is a matter of, for me, it's just such a passion. So, you know, when it's your passion, you just kind of find those times. I, think of it like ice cream, you know, there's always room for dessert. There's always room for ice cream, even if it slides down the sides of your stomach. So I I like, like ice cream to me, it just fits into all the gaps, but that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that I that's every day. And there are times where it's just, it's, you know, too much. And I just don't have the time to do it. I wish I could say I was more of a routine person. You won't find me likely writing a book on how or when to study the Bible, like time of day, like here, (laughs) this is in this time, you'll, you know, check off the boxes. I do though, love, um, to end my day with it. I guess a lot of people start their day and I think that's very important and I highly recommend that, but I do tend for me personally to end my day. I think you start your day, right? What do you do? I do. I start my day, but lately I've just, I've been reading the chronological Bible. And so each day has a you know, I mean, for January 1st, oh, start here. It's wonderful. And um, my friend and one of our authors, Wendy Pope, she has a, a series that she does. It's a video series called Read Through the Word. And so each day has a video teaching with either Wendy or someone from our team. I don't always get to the video because I, my mornings have just been rushed, but I do read well, I try. It's not, I'm not perfect. So I don't get to it every day, but I read that day and it's just taking me through the Bible chronologically. And then of course I have my Sunday routine where I prep for my Monday morning devotional. I do all that study on Sundays and then we have a small group. And so, so I do feel like I kind of have a routine. Sunday is my devotional. Um, sometime over the weekend, I do my small group study for the week. And then every morning I try to read through that chronological lesson of the day. So, well, you know, I'm in class for, you know, divinity. So I'm constantly doing it right now. I think maybe when that ends shortly in a few weeks, I will definitely have to, and want to maybe do more of a routine, but at this point it's like, I mean, you are, you are, osmosis. <laughs> you are deep in the weeds of it all. So yeah, right now good I to go. Yeah. <laughs> you are good to go for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm just so thankful we had these four weeks to dive into all of this. It's wonderful. I do want to share with you all, if you go to gotgirlnation.com, you can get a free download of our God Girl Nation handbook. And what it does, it goes over the four foundational principles 
of God Girl Nation, which are God calls us to engage in his word, God calls us to serve, God calls us to community, and God calls us to build a legacy. And it's it's a little Bible study. And it's got scripture verses. And then um, we do with each foundation, we do kind of a recap at the end. And then there's um, reflection questions and things like that. So that's a great um, resource to download. And then Sarah and I will be live next week on Thursday, February 25th. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's the 25th. Um uh, I, I want to say at eight o'clock, but I, what time did we say, Sarah? Uh, I think it was seven. <laughs> seven central, right? Seven central, right. 7 the 20- p.m. central on the yeah. 25th. And we're going to do a little teaching at the beginning, and then we're going to do some Q&A. So we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, we would love to um, engage with all of you. And um, that'll be kind of our closing of this series, Developing Bold Discernment. Uh, it's just been just a joy. And thank you so much. Um, I'm hoping to bring you back for another series. I would love it. This is so fun. If only everyone could hear our outside of these conversations, you know? I know. <laughs> it's like it would go on for hours. It's lovely. And it's... <laughs> So fun. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. Well, thanks everyone. And remember in our homes, in our community and in our world, we are living the God girl life. And we're so grateful to be doing that. Have a great week, everyone. Bye now. Bye, Sarah. Bye.